Great to be here with you. We are in a series called Toxic. Toxic. And that effect that sin has on our lives. The first series we started out with this year was the greatness of what we have in our God. Who am I with him? And we have this identity defined in Jesus Christ. And and yet so often the sin can eat us up. Our heart can ravage within us. And we listen to what our heart says. It seems to make sense in the moment anyway. And we head off on this adventure of actually drinking deep of some poison in our soul. And uh, this, this poison of sin can ravage us in ways we cannot imagine. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks now in the mixed midst, midst of this toxic series is we're going to be going through the four hearts, the four facets of our heart and the different pieces of the sin within our heart. I'm just telling you, you are well represented in at least one of these days. Okay? And... Uh, for a couple of you, you might be in a couple of the days, and if you're in all four of the days, please come see us. We need to talk. So really, you need to be sitting down to, over the next handful of weeks, like, Lord, show me. What do I need to be going after? What needs to change? Okay? That's what we're all going to do here together. It's together, we all, saying, Lord, what needs to be changing in me? All right? I just want to tell you, there's been a lot of powerful things going on here in this church in the last several weeks. It's been an exciting time. We've had huge numbers in attendance. We've had some awesome services. We've had a number of people accept Christ just walking into the office or coming up after a service. And man, God is moving in this place right now in a huge way. And um, just so you know, when God is moving in big ways and when hearts are being changed in big ways, hear me now. Satan's at work. And there's some hard press down going on. And we are seeing it in a number of lives and a number of families. So please hear me. The war is on. What are you going to do? As we sit down together to walk through this, as we look to hear from God in his word, just, Lord, please open my eyes. What needs to go that you might be glorified, transform me in whatever way. You ready? Are you ready? All right, let's dive in together. We're going to be jumping into our first facet of the heart that we're going to be talking about, overcoming fear. So we got the ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. We're going to be diving into 2 Kings chapter 6. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, In your booklets, these toxic booklets, page 24, and that's where the outline's at. All right, we'll get going there. 2 Kings chapter 6. Starting in verse 8. All right? We're overcoming fear. We're going after a heart of trust. And so the first piece to this adventure, the poison, uh, unbelief that leads to worry over whether God can protect. Poison. It's the unbelief that leads to worry. Everybody just say worry. Okay, that's the poison. The worry that believes that God may not be able to protect not sure about it. And uh, it's a poison that can really embitter our soul, turn us towards uh, a fear that can eat us alive. All right? So let's just dive in here in 2, Corinthians, or in, uh, 2 Kings 6. Um, we're going to be talking about a man of God named Elisha. And so we're picking up sort of in the middle of his storyline, this guy called Elisha. So let's just get a little bit of understanding about him. Elisha, he's a prophet, okay? 
He's a dude who had words for the nation of Israel and for others who were following God. He worked with this other prophet named Elijah. So Elisha, working with Elijah, all right? So Elisha is the one we're going after today. Eli, just say Elisha. That's what we're going after today is knowing a little bit about him. He was working with the guy named Elijah. This man was unbelievable. And he showed Elisha how it goes down to be a man of God. He worked powerfully with the nation. He stood for God. He lifted people towards him. He called it the way it was. He had words from God. He performed miracles. In fact, God so honored him that Elijah, uh, well, he had a chariot of fire come down and pick him up, and he was taken off to heaven, one of two men that did not die, Elijah and Enoch. And uh, what does that mean in the broader words of Scripture? We're not sure. And it could be that Elijah comes back in in the end times and has a role to play there. We'll talk a little bit more about Elijah next week. So Elijah is this unbelievable man of God, prophet, showing Elisha how it's done. He's taken off to heaven, and Elisha's standing there, and he's like, all right, I guess it's on me. Here we go. And so he starts becoming the man of God. He has words of wisdom for people as God speaks through him. He's sharing and challenging. He has moments of healing. He's able to call out, told somebody, you're going to have a baby. They haven't been able to have a baby in forever, and you're going to have a baby. And she ends up having this child. And Elisha, words from the Lord, healings. He actually raised someone from the dead. And uh, in fact, it was that very boy that he said this woman would have. And uh, what a powerful relationship he had with the people. And um, unbelievable miracles. In fact, even little miracles too. In the verses right before the ones we're going to be looking at, there's this guy who's working. He had borrowed an axe. He took a big heavy swing. And the head of the axe flew off into the water and sunk. And he's like, oh no! It was borrowed! Now what? And so Elisha steps in and goes, hang on. And the, and the iron floats to the top, and the guy picks it up, puts it back on his axe, and he's like, whew, good thing we have Elisha, right? And so sometimes in the little things, like saving an axe head, sometimes in the massive, in saving a life or many lives, Elisha, a man of God. That's who we're talking about and who we're going to be looking at today and his interaction as we dive in here. Okay, so here we go, starting in verse 8. Once, when the king of Syria... Everybody just say, that's an enemy. Was warring against Israel. He took counsel with his servants. The king of Israel is talking to his servants, the people working for him, and he had some things to say. He said, at such and such a place shall be my camp. Okay, it wasn't that he was being super vague. Okay, he's not like, at such and such a place, and they're like, yeah, we don't know where that is. He's just recording what matters, and the place does not matter it's what happened with the information that matters. At such and such a place, I shall build my camp. But the man of God, everybody say that's Elisha. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. He's like, hey, heads up, I've got some information about your enemy, right? Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. He's like, hey, go check this out. See what's going on, and he sent some people, and they looked into it, and sure enough, the king of Syria and his armies had camped there, and Israel was saved by not passing by. And the man of God has done a huge work in saving them through God Almighty and the words that he gave. The king of Israel sent to that place, it says, thus, he used to warn him, 
He, being Elisha, used to warn the king of Israel so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And uh, Elisha, he had a job to do. And he worked with the nation of Israel, and he was God's representative, and he brought words from God to help out. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be to be the king of Syria? Right? So now it says, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants together, and he said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? He's like, come on, seriously. I keep changing which place we're going to go to, and I shift to this new camp, and somehow they just magically know about that too. Somebody in here is a traitor, and I need to know who it is. Who in here likes the king of Israel more than me? Right? And uh, that's not a question you want to answer very readily. You know what I mean? Everybody just kind of does the step back and sits quietly. And uh, it says that one guy actually stood up. Will you not show me who of you is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, uh, everybody say, that's a brave guy. One of his servants said, uh, none, my Lord, none, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Creepy. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just telling you, you have no secrets, O king of Syria. I'm just telling you, you think you're almighty and planning things out? God just tells that secret to Elisha and he shares it to the king of Israel. And dude, this plan's never going to work. That's the way it's going down. And uh, he says... Um, the king said to him, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. All right, fine. Then we'll get him out of the picture, right? It was told to him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots with a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. This massive army surrounding to capture two guys, right? To capture Elisha and his servant, and he's like, I don't know, man, but with this God involved, we're going to have to do a lot to lock them down. Send a whole army, surround the whole place. We're going to take these guys. And uh, surprisingly, Elisha doesn't get the special message that something's going to happen and get out of there. Instead, they just go to sleep that night. It says in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, of Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold... An army with horses and chariots was all around the city. The word behold, it basically means check it out. Like this is a big deal. Can you imagine being that servant? You wake up early in the morning. The dawn is just, you know, the sun is just cresting. And you're like, oh, walk over, move back. Whoa, open the door up. They're everywhere. Oh my word, we're in trouble, right? That's what's going on. He has just realized they are absolutely surrounded. Behold, the army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, ah, don't worry about it. We serve a great God. Is that what he said? Look at what he said. He said, alas. Have you ever started a sentence with alas? <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, you know, the word basically means we're doomed. It's done. It's over. And oh no. 
Doggone it! These are phrases that would probably be replaced by us today, and, and uh, alas, my master, what shall we do? What shall we do? Those are the language of worry. Oh no. Alas. What can we do? The vocabulary of worry. And uh, there once was a very wise older woman. She loved to sit out on her porch in the afternoons and rock her chair. And she was sitting out on the porch rocking. And as people came by, she would wave and say hello. She had such a calm and a peace about her. And uh, one day, one of the ladies in the community came up to her at the porch and said, tell me your secret. Like, how are you so relaxed and so calm and so at ease and what's going on? And she said, in my younger years, I had a lot of troubles. Most of those troubles actually, actually never happened. I worried. I had a lot of troubles and none of them tended to come true. I tended to think about tomorrow and what would be broken tomorrow and most of tomorrow's brokennesses never actually happened. I looked at the circumstances and I decided the worst thing that could happen and, and I decided it became a waste of my time. Uh, worry, it's dealing with tomorrow's troubles today. Worry, it's dealing with tomorrow's troubles today. And uh, Look, a lot of us, you may have discernment and you're like, but I, I can see things, I'm telling you, I know things and and uh, you might have some proper perceptions about the risks or something like that. We'll talk about that in point number two. But how often do we actually know the future? Uh, never, correct? And uh, let's be careful that we don't live as if we know when we don't know. Worry, it tries to get control of tomorrow by living it today in our imagination. And a uh, very dangerous moment, all right? Uh, the poison. Unbelief, remember we talked in the first week about pride and unbelief, the two pieces that uh, Adam and Eve tasted of, pride and unbelief. We're going to focus on the unbelief part now in the next three weeks. Unbelief, it rocks your core as you doubt God, as you worry in the midst, and you start living tomorrow's concerns in today, right here and now. Worry, it's a sign of unbelief beginning to take root in your heart. And in fact, we're going to go a little bit more into it now and what it looks like. Not just worry, but a little bit deeper. So the poison, the worry over whether God can protect, simple question, what are you worried about? What things grip you and concern you in a way where you begin to fret or wring your hands? Or use the word, alas. What do you worry for? Maybe a better way to say it. What are you seeking to protect in the midst of that? Think of that thing you worry about. Get it? What is the thing you're looking to protect? Something about you, most likely. And uh, what is that? Make sure you get that locked down. Is it consuming you? Or are you able to hand it over to your God? Okay. The first piece is the poison. Second, the symptom. The symptom of whether or not I've taken that poison deep in my soul. 
recoil back in self-protection, unsure of your God and who or what surrounds you. Uh, It's a recoil back in self-protection, unsure of your God and who or what surrounds you. Notice in verse 16 now, Elisha, the man of God, walks up and uh, he sees his servant who has just seen all these armies, is now in a total panic and is freaked out and said the words, alas, what shall we do? And he says to him with the ultimate of counseling words, don't be afraid. Do you, have, do you love those counseling moments where you come in and you mention something that you have going on and they just kind of give the obvious statement, right? I, I'm afraid. Uh, don't be afraid, right? And so he's being given the, the first statement, but he's given more in this. And uh, don't be afraid, he says to him, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Like, bro, you got to get some eyes for God. You've got some eyes that can see this world, and you can even feel and experience this world, but I'm telling you, there is an amazing God behind all of this. There is no worry, okay? And uh, don't be afraid. Let's make sure we talk about this word fear a bit. Because it eats us up. Fear. I just wrote this. It's a dwelling dread of a perception of danger. Fear. It's a dwelling dread. You just ponder on. You contemplate. Every time you get back to it, it grips you. It's a dwelling dread of a perception of danger. And I'm just telling you right now, the cause of fear, it's pretty simple. You're focusing on the problem, not the problem solver. You hearing me? You're an expert of the problem, not the problem solver. And uh, that's the cause of fear. A dwelling dread of perception of danger. And, uh, well, some things are dangerous, man. I mean, seriously. A whole army surrounding the city here to capture us and kill us? Uh, One could argue that's rather dangerous, right? And, And so it's not that his perception of danger is wrong, it's that he's actually missing out on what God is doing in the thing. He's seen the earthly. He's missing the spiritual or the heavenly in it. And uh, he's not seeing the problem solver in it. And, uh, okay, great. So how am I supposed to respond in the midst of danger? Three steps to a biblical response to danger. Three steps to a biblical response to perceived danger. You ready? These are going to be important to write down. Number one. Identify the danger. Identify the danger. Be able to voice it. If you're one of those people where fear tends to grip you more readily, you may even get to the point where you have a problem saying what's got you afraid. Make sure you can voice what you believe the perceived danger to be. Make sure you can identify it. I'm afraid because my concern is, here's where I'm at. My fears are beginning to grip me because... And be able to be an expert of yourself. Make sure you can identify the actual danger that you're perceiving. Number two, step up to my responsibilities. Step up to my responsibilities. Listen, there's a lot of things that God calls us to go after and do and be. And some of those things, you need to know what they are. And in the midst of some danger, you need to be able to step up and go after certain things. All right? Step up to my responsibilities. Please notice now the word responsibility there, all right? 
there's a significant difference between a responsibility and a concern. So write down, step up to my responsibilities, not my concerns. Be very careful. You see, when we start to step up to our concerns, it starts to go like this. I'm supposed to do this. She's supposed to do that. And she's not doing it. I better help her. Now I come over here and I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And I'm going to see, I'm getting involved in their responsibilities. Those are just supposed to be my concerns. I'll pray for them. I'll, I'll long for them to get it the right way. But all too often, people who are overly considering the concerns out there start stepping in on those and start doing into those. We have a word for that. It's called control, right? You know when you're controlling? When you believe you know their responsibility and you believe they're not doing their responsibility and you can certainly handle their responsibility for them, so you'll step in and make it your responsibility. Control. And we step in and we start doing for them. And uh, that's over-managing your responsibilities. And you end up in control. And uh, everybody say, that's bad. Okay, the ones who just said it probably don't struggle with control as much. And the ones who struggle with it are like, "Mm mm-mm. Right? And uh, it's bad, man. It'll eat you up. Okay? And uh, over-control, or overstepping it, it's control. Understepping it, it's paralysis. Like, I don't even know what to do. I mean, I know what to do, but I don't want to do it. And what if it went wrong? And what if I can't? And what if they? And what if? Freeze. And we don't make any action. And uh, Maybe you're one of those people you wrestle with paralysis in the midst of fear. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. And you're like, but what if they don't like me? Or what if this doesn't go well? I better not do anything. And we freeze, and we wait for somebody else to get us out of it. In fact, the person who wrestles with this often will measure the fact that others love them by do they get me out of this. That's a bad plan. It'll hurt you in the long run, okay? And uh, step up to my responsibilities. So number one, identify the danger. Number two, step up to my responsibilities. Don't overstep, don't understep, right? Number three, trust it all to the caring powerful hands of God. Trust it all to the caring, powerful hands of God. Notice I did not say trust their stuff to the caring, powerful hand of God. Trust it all, your stuff too. Lord, I'm going to step out. I'm going to try to handle these responsibilities wisely. Lord, I'm handing it all to you. May you work within this. Trust it all to the caring, powerful hands of God. That's number three. Trust it all to the caring, powerful hands of God. So you identify the danger you rightly step up to your responsibilities. You trust the rest to God. You can sleep well on those things. Elisha was getting some great sleep, man. And uh, amazing what was going on. Um, just so you know, a person who is self-protecting, you'll never get to step three. Trusting God for it all. Self-protection, you get to step two, and then you just start overstepping everywhere. Self-protection is when we go to control. Okay? And we're just going to start managing it. And so please hear me on this. We have a lot of us in here that wrestle with fear. Hear me now. You're not alone. There are a number of people wrestling with that very thing. 
We take a deep breath and we work together where we hand this to our God. And all of God's people said, hear me, man. This will eat you up if you try to grip it tight and hold it close. Be careful. Your God has it. Trust him and leave it to him. Uh, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Great statement here. Like, how do I trust him? Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. You hearing it? I praise the words of God. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. I trust the God who spoke this place into existence, not one of the people that just makes up the place. You know what I'm saying? My God is the one I'll walk to. My God is the one I'll trust. Here's another great one, Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. The presence of God is your solution. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So it's Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Man, those are powerful verses to get you trusting your God, okay? And uh, question, when does fear actually go over the top and become sinful? All right, I just thought it'd be good to write these words down. It'll be a little bit of a review of what we just said, but I think it's just good to get another angle to it. When does fear become sinful? Four things that make that true. Ready? Four things that make fear sinful. Number one, when it's excessive. You know, when it paralyzes you or when it gets you controlling, when you're obsessing and worrying nonstop, you know when it happens. You know when it's gripped you. And you're like, but what if? And you either refuse to move or you're moving into everybody else's stuff. Right? You know when it's going on. And when people start kind of saying something to you and you get the little comment back about the over-controlling and excessive, that's the first thing that you know. Fear has gone over the top. It's sinful. Uh, It's not just a moment where you're contemplating something and then prayerfully handing it to God and walking through the steps. You're letting it grip you. Uh, Number two, unbalanced. I will only see this world through my physical eyes. I won't see it through my spiritual eyes. Unbalanced. And if you're missing the spiritual side of life, you're missing all that the safety is in. Our safety is in our God. He is with us. And all of God's people said, it's huge, man. And uh, fear becomes sinful when it's untrue. That's the third one. How many of us get afraid of silly or ridiculous things? And we can't even explain why. That's kind of why I said identify the danger. Take a little time to actually identify what you're actually afraid of. You might find it's rather silly. It's not true. I am so afraid of orange teddy bears, especially large ones. And uh, why? I have no idea. And you start getting underneath it and you start realizing actually there's nothing dangerous about that and untrue. Be careful with it. And uh, unbiblical. There's a lot of things we're told not to be afraid of. Do not be afraid of the one that can take your physical life. Fear the Lord, the one who owns it all right? And don't be afraid of provisions on a daily basis. Trust your God. And uh, we have to be very careful. We're told in a lot of places in Scripture not to fear. Fear not is a huge command used in Scripture. Gee, I wonder why. 
because we're experts at doing it. And uh, just be careful about our heart of unbelief that starts getting unchecked and going rampant into fear. And uh, all right, I just want to say this, anxiety. Anxiety, that's a word that gets tossed around a lot today in our society. And uh, there's a lot of counsel that goes on in that, okay? And so let's just talk about it for a second. Anxiety, I would just say it this way. Simple definition of anxiety, it's when uh, unbiblical fear has taken root, okay? It's going to eat us up. And uh, we start to get really afraid of a lot of things. Now, uh, anxiety, we're told, do not be anxious for anything, right? In uh, Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. Trust it to your God. Philippians 4, 3 through 9, man, if you are steeped in that fear or anxiety level, I'm telling you, Philippians 4, 3 through 9, some huge promises you can go after there. And um, I just want to say this, though, anxiety, causes for anxiety. There's really two causes, okay? And I need everybody hearing me well on this part, okay? I'm going to be very tender and very careful here. First cause, there can be some chemical things going on. A chemical unbalance. There are some that teach don't ever take meds to get assistance. That is not something that we teach here, okay? But at the same time, let's be careful to not go over the top, run after the med, and think we're done, okay? There can be chemical causes that need to be addressed, and we're okay with hearing that. The second cause is a heart cause. I have unbelief in my heart, and I'm steeped in it, and I run after that thing being expressed, it becomes worry and fear at the highest levels. It's a full-out heart problem, all right? And so there can be a chemical issue. There can be a heart issue. And so here's what I would say. Best first step is to treat it like a heart issue and start to work on it and see what happens. Like, give it over to your God. Watch him do some transforming work and go after the heart aspect of it. I'm already on meds. Stay on the meds. Be careful. You're not getting any MD advice from here, right? And your doctors need to work with you on that. And I'm telling you, if you are on some kind of stabilizing med, that's great. Stay where you're at right now, and let's start calling God to do some transforming work of the heart. Whatever needs to be done, may God do it. And all of God's people said, let's start looking for some transforming work. And if that happens, we might see some healing where the meds can actually start to be reduced as per your doctor, did everybody hear me now? As per your doctor, not per us, and hear me, not per you. You reduce those meds as per your doctor, but God, may you do some transforming work here. And so, yes, there can be a chemical assist in it, but I'm telling you, we all wrestle with some things of our heart. Let's get adept at handing that over to God, all right? And let's see what God can do in it. A huge deal. A chemical issue can be at hand. A heart issue can be at hand. And I tried to be super Super careful on how I've said that. Uh, I hope you hear my heart in that and hear our heart as a pastoral staff in that. And if you have any questions, we would love to be walking and talking that through with you. All right? Um, Elisha gives a, a statement. Do not be afraid. Do me a favor. Just take your book and turn over to page 30 real quick. Page 30. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to make sure you've at least seen this, all right? You see this tree picture? And Mike has done a great job dropping some graphics in for us. This is called a fruit-to-root diagram. This is something we use in biblical counseling. Fruit, that's the stuff hanging on the top of the tree, right? Down to root. 
And I'm just telling you, you look at fruit first, you can kind of get an inkling of symptoms going on, but you're moving downward through the tree to root to get to sources of what's going on, all right? And so hear me, as you go after a Lord, what needs to change in me? God revealed to me these diagnostic tools that we put in here are super important to be walking through and praying through. And I just wanted you to see these questions at the top and make sure you see the description here. Let's just look through the fruit for a second. Look at the fruit. Uh, Controlling. Have you heard that before from me here today? Right? And uh, controlling or avoiding. Have you heard that from me today here? Right? That's the paralyzed. And, and so I'm underreacting or overreacting to my responsibilities. That's a sign that the fear is gripping me too harshly. And, or I'm second-guessing myself. Do you know anybody like that? Where they're like, um, I'll have a hamburger. No, 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 no. Patty melt. No, no. What are you having? Right? And I, constantly second-guessing everything. And I make light of the simple of it. But second-guessing all of life can cripple us. And people-pleasing. Just want to give them whatever makes them happy. I'm afraid they'll reject me otherwise. That's what's usually under that, okay? Uh, Enabling or appeasing, that's what's called a peace faker. It looks calm, it looks peaceful, but in fact, it's you giving up everything so that they won't be mad with you. It's never leaning in. That's a peace faker. And uh, that's just the fruit of it. Underneath it is the trunk piece, the perfectionist. Did you know that? A perfectionist is actually someone who's struggling with fear. They're afraid of failure or afraid of rejection, and they're trying to control it by trying to get everything right so that everybody likes me, so that I'm not viewed as failing. And a huge deal, fear, it may grip you in ways you never even knew it was gripping you. You're like, perfectionist, I thought that was a good thing. I was really trying hard in everything, and, and it, look, it keeps going on here. A victim mentality or thoughts of shame, this is where things haven't gone well. And uh, things have collapsed on you. I'm damaged goods. I'm never good enough. I'm unlovable. That's what's at the trunk is a dislike of self and wrestling with that. And then at the very root, you're struggling to find acceptance, personal peace, or security, but you're doing it with you in control and in protection, not God. Okay? This is fruit to root, man. This is walking through just understanding a little bit of what my heart is. And I'm just telling you, understanding it, getting a diagnosis of it will not fix it. Everybody say, won't fix it. Doesn't fix it that you read page 30, right? Doesn't fix it that you can quote page 30. It's, God, may I truly get with you and have you do an amazing changing work in me. It's a presence with your God that will change you. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit here. Um, Let's dive back in. So simple question at the end of point two. Are your actions and words sparked by faith Seeking to worship or by fear, avoiding pain? Are you moved more by faith or by fear? Are you clinging to a no pain, no struggle plan? Boy, if this would just go in a way where nothing would be bad, nothing would hurt me. And uh, let's be really careful. That's not God's plan. He will walk us through some very trying times at times in order to shape us and to grow us. And uh, he's not on the no pain plan. He is on the your transformation for my glory plan. And uh, fear fights against that at every level. Let's be careful with it. And uh, self-protecting or God-entrusting? Where would you say you are? 
Let's make sure we take a deep inventory. That's the poison. That's the symptoms. Number three, the prescription. Encounter your willing and able God of protection. Trust him fully and share mercifully with others. Encounter your willing and able God of protection. Trust him fully and share mercifully with others. Notice we start here in verse 17 now. It says, then Elisha prayed. There is no better fix than prayer. Coming before your God and handing it all over to him. A worship in prayer, a dependence in prayer, handing it all over to him. Here's what I love about Elisha as the counselor. Notice he says, the guy's like, ah, right? He's like, don't be afraid. Like very oversimplified uh, counseling, it would seem at first. Don't be afraid. But then he turns around and he looks to his God and he says, Lord, open his eyes. No greater counsel in the world. He saw exactly what was missing. He had eyes for this physical world, and he didn't see what his God was doing. And so as he counseled to what he needed to stop doing, he gave him the fix for it. Hear from your God and watch your God do an amazing work in you. And then he turns to God and says, God Almighty, grant him open eyes that he might see you. In the midst of this world, show him how awesome you are. Man, that's some killer counseling prayer. If you know someone struggling a ton with fear, this is your prayer for them. Lord, open their eyes that they might see you at work in their life. Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. You got to love when prayers are answered like in the moment, right? And uh, this prayer answered right away. And opened his eyes, and he saw, and behold, which means, check it out, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hear me, God used the word behold in this story one, one time earlier. He said, behold, it was full of armies and chariots of those men. And now he says, and behold, full of armies and chariots of fire heavenly forces wrapped around this place, fully under protection. God has it in hand. And all of God's people said, man, as we trust in our God, here is our call. Do not just see the problem in front of you in its physical nature or form. You see God invested into this problem as well. Have the balance in it and see all that God's doing in it. It's amazing how it shifts our heart and uh, What a huge privilege for this man to be able to see the horses of chariots of fire surrounding. I can't even imagine what that looked like. And uh, in my mind's eye, these dudes that are standing there are big dudes, these armies from the other side, right? You don't get little wimps to fight for you, right? So these boys are big, they're big boys, man, and they're up there on their chariots and standing next to them are beings significantly bigger than them. And significantly more impressive than them. On fire blazing with the awesomeness of who God is as these angels have been made by God and sent by God. God has it in hand. May we trust our God in the midst of whatever we're struggling with. That will subside the fear. And uh, it says, and when the Syrians came down against him. Okay, hang on. 
I thought there were like chariots of fire. And, but they didn't hold them back. Notice the solution wasn't the chariots of fire in the end. They were the abating. They were the holding back in the moment. But these guys still came down to attack. Does Elisha panic? Answer, no. He turns around and he goes, uh, Lord, another request. Please strike these people with blindness. Uh, this is a day where Elisha is big into praying for the eyes of people. And so, Lord, please open this one's eyes. Please close all of their eyes. That would be helpful at the moment. And uh, God working with this man of God. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. I thought he was seeking Elisha. Yeah, he is. So is Elisha lying? Okay, let's cover that for a second. Um, First of all, please hear me, Elisha is a man of God, but he's a man of God. And we know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all of God's people said, that includes Elisha. And so, yes, he does have sin in him still. He will make bad decisions at times. Is this one of them? I'm not exactly sure. Some of the way the wording is set here, he could be implying something that's true. Like, no, no, this is the way and this is the city. That God wants you in, mister. Right? It could be that kind of talk. Like he's trying to say, I'm aligned with God. That's where God wants you. So this is the way. This is the city. Uh, or he might be falling to his humanness at the moment and go, this isn't where you want to be. It's like over there. And, and uh, could this be a sin moment in the midst of his heroic nature? It could be. Either way, please hear me. Sinners saved by grace needing a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said... That's where we are, man, and all of us broken before our God and in need of a Savior. And it's not that we're a hero that gets it 100% right, so that's when God steps in. He steps in, man. Your God loves you, and he's with you in the midst. And fear, we get to set it down and trust him working with us. And I'm really not sure which one this is, and there are books written on it, by the way. I've done a, a bit of reading out there on it this week, and it's interesting the different positions. I'll leave it at, uh, yep. There you go. That's my intensity of it. So he led them to Samaria. That was the capital of Israel at the time. He led them to Samaria. So he's leading them right into the capital city where the king lives. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Oh Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. That had to be a fun prayer. They're completely blind right now and you're like, Oh Lord, open their eyes now. And uh, so God does. He opens their eyes as this army has now been brought into the middle of Samaria. As, uh, it says, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, uh, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, great statement of respect, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Okay, this is like the awesome three-year-old who's like, you know, can I have a can of pop? Can I have a can of pop? Can I have candy? Can I have candy? Can I have more? Can I have more? Can we go on that? Can we go on that? Right? Just like the repeating over and over. Oh, they're right here. That's my enemy. Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Right? That's what's going on. He's like almost losing it right in front of him. And uh, good thing he called him father so that Elisha can act like a daddy, right? And uh, he answered him back, uh, you shall not strike them down. Uh, would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword or your bow? 
And uh, here you've taken him captive with a prayer. So no, this is a captor at the moment. Take care of him. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So the king prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. What in the world is God's plan with all that? Last sentence. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. God said, here's our plan. We are going to put the fear of the God of the universe into these people. They are going to understand how much I am ruling and reigning. And in the midst of this moment, all of them were able to tell the same story. They serve a big God, man, and you don't want to mess with him. There's no toying with him, and getting rid of Elisha doesn't get it done. Their God is over the nation of Israel. We need to leave the nation alone. God put some protection down for that season. And uh, huge deal as they trusted in the midst for him. I'm telling you, fear can grip us. It's when we get our eyes off of the problem solver and put it on the problem. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In the book here, we've got the pictures of the heart right after the, right after the small group stuff. Let's just make sure we talk this through to close this out, review a little bit. So you see the unrestored heart? See the picture of it? Okay, unrestored heart. At the middle of the unrestored heart is... Unbelief. Don't you love closed-ended questions? You're like, well, I sound proud answering the unbelief statement. It says unbelief. And you, you read well. It says unbelief, man. And uh, the next line out, what comes from unbelief? I don't think God can handle it. Well, worry starts to come from it. That's my action. I step out and worry. And why? Look at the next ring out. Self-protection. Why? Because God isn't or can't protect and so I start protecting, and I start doing everything I can do. And in fact, worry is the ultimate example of I begin to try to manage things that aren't even mine to manage. It's an element of control going on. And uh, unbelief, God doesn't have it. God isn't able. And uh, so I worry. I'm in self-protection. I have this private declaration. God is not able in this moment. I have to step in. Here we go. And uh, that will lead to a heart steeped in fear. Okay? Fear. It's either afraid of someone or something happening to you. Gripped by it, I either over control or I get stuck in paralysis. And you know the feeling, right? Where it's just sort of gripping you inside and it's holding on tight. And that is not how God designed us to live. Instead, flip it over. Restored heart. God, do an amazing, transforming work in you. This is what it's supposed to be. Not unbelief, but at the center is, go ahead and say it together. Faith, man. I count on my God. I'm dependent on my God. He has purposes. God's purposes. Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good to them that love him, to them that are the called according to his purpose. I count on God's purposes. God is able. It starts to bring a calming and a trusting as you hand it over to him in full-out prayer, worshiping him, all right? So please hear me. The goal is not to take my unrestored heart and just start faking a restored heart. 
Everybody say, that's not the plan. Okay, so how do I get from A to B? All right, look at the back, look at uh, page 31. You're going to see a very consistent solution every week now where we talk about encounter, exalt, engage. In fact, we're going to go into that in detail in the next sermon series, but here's the deal. Look at the verses we put down here. For those struggling with fear, man, if your heart is tender towards fear, hear me, we understand, we're hurting with you, we're praying for you. This is the God you must meet in Scripture. Psalm 139, he is all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing. That's your God. He is great and gracious. He has purposes, Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good. He is caring he protects. He is ever-present in help, in trouble. Hear me now. This is the God you need to meet. Not that you'll pass a quiz on a test, but that you actually live this. You've met this God. And so it goes like this. Exalt is the next step there. It's where you literally come before your God saying, Lord, I've met you in this scripture, and I'm wrestling. Lord, I, I'm having a hard time counting on you. Please help me. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I want to worship you all the more. Show me who you are. Lord, I'm ready to set this down. And I'm telling you, if he's not breaking through, you're holding on to something. Are you hearing me? If he's not breaking through, you're holding on to something. Gotta let it go. Set it down. That's where the heavy lifting starts to come in. Lord, you, not me. I will worship you, my king. I will give you my all. This is who you are, and I will trust in you. And all of God's people said, I'm telling you, man, this is the fix to a heart in fear. It's handing it to your God, worshiping him, being honest with him. When you feel afraid in the midst, tell him, Lord, I'm scared, petrified, and I want to trust you. Show me you, and this is the you you need to be seeing. Those verses there under encounter. And then the last is engage. That's when we're finally stepping out with a little bit of courage, with a little bit of shape to our heart, where we're now stepping out to do. See, all too often we encounter God and then we jump to engage. That'll blow you up. Exalt, man. Spend some time worshiping your king. This, deep breath, is fear unraveled as it rages in our heart. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I'm going to ask that we just take a little bit of time right here and right now before our God. Let's just close our eyes and bow our head. Heavenly Father, my request, hear us right now. We cry out to you. We trust in you. We lean on you, Lord. You are awesome, you are amazing, you are stunning. Lord, we worship you that you know everything, you can do anything, you have it in hand. Lord, hear our cry when that doesn't seem so to our minds and hearts. Just thank him for having his hand in your life. Just thank him.
and maybe you're sitting here before your God right now. And fear, you know it's one of your majors. It's got to be set down. Lord, open my eyes. Just pray that simple prayer to your God. This is not about, Lord, help me fake it. Lord, sorry I was fearful. Please help me to never be that way. It's not that, that silly kind of prayer where we walk away and repeat it again in the next moment. It's, Lord, change me. Your glory pouring over me. Lord, reveal to me you in all your greatness. I'm ready to come to you and I'm done with fear ravaging me. Please, Lord. I'm ready to be healed. Man, if fear is your thing, just come before him right now and pray it outright. Yeah, he hears our cries right in the midst. Come to him in the midst of our struggles. I'm telling you this. He is always there for us. Always. This is your God. No matter what stands in front of you, make sure that your prayer is, Lord, show me your hand at work in my life. Heavenly Father, teach us and train us. Shape us right now. May we worship you even in the midst of our brokenness. Hear our feeble cries and shape us now. May we come to you, the God who is present. It is in your mighty, powerful name that we pray these things and long for a healing from fear. And all of God's people said, Amen.